Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Today is uh, Friday, July 14th. Good show today. Got Adam Epstein from Washington, D.C. Going to talk about all things Washington sports with him. Uh, Wizards, Commanders, even a little bit of the Nationals and um, the Nationals. So, guys, let's finish. uh, Let's start with the uh, NBA Summer League going on now, though. Um, Not really. No one really cares about the teams, who's winning, who's losing. It's really more about player storylines. We'll start with the biggest name overall with uh, Victor Rembignama. Started out pretty small. Started out pretty slow. It's pretty bad actually on his first game, but then really came back in his second game. Uh, I think he uh, only scored like nine points in his first game, but then came back. Uh, you know, a couple nights later, twenty-seven points, twelve rebounds, three blocks. What are you guys thinking so far of of Victor and any other uh, storylines? Uh, any other like players that are catching your eye this summer league? I caution everybody to put too much stock in the summer league. I mean, we've seen. Young guys struggle in this all the time. Then they actually get to play up and down the floor NBA games where it's more free flowing, and they turn out to be just fine. Wembyama's gonna be fine. Like the yeah. the thing about him, we know he's not a great shooter. We know he's a little bit skinny. That didn't change. It's gonna get better throughout the course of the first couple years of his career. But you can see some of the things that he can already do. He's gonna be an elite defender pretty much, pretty much right away. Uh, as a shot blocker, he's going to be dominant. But, yeah, he bounced back in the second game, so I'm not that concerned about what guys do in Summer League. Brandon Miller didn't play too great in Summer League. He'll, he'll be fine. Like, I, It's yeah. just it's something for people to talk about, but I think it's just overrated in general. I don't think people should make any sweeping generalizations of players based on what they do in Summer League. People forget too mm-hmm. that these players never even practice with each other. Well, they barely, right. they might have like one practice before. Right. It's these basically games. exhibition games part one. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, I think that's really important for Victor Ramanyama. And it kind of showed on his first game on the seventh. Um, you know, he wasn't really, he had no practice with the players that he played with. And I mean, he even had a quote saying, like, I didn't even know what I was doing. Like, "Quote unquote," I honestly did not know what I was doing out there, and I think that was really just because he had no. You could kind of see it when he played too. He had no flow with his teammates. He didn't really have any like game plan. No one really knew like how to play together. But right. you know, I, after they got a game under the belt, he obviously came back uh, in the second game uh, much much better. Chet Holmgren is back. Uh, let's talk about Chet Holmgren. Uh, averaging twelve and a half points, ten rebounds, and three blocks per game um, in three of the summer league games he played so far. Um, what do you guys think about Chet? Is he back? He looks like he's back. I mean, mm-hmm. he did look pretty good, but again, like I said, don't make any sweeping generalizations of players based on summer league, but the most important thing he's getting is reps, and that is going to only make him better, and that's only going to make this team better. That That's the one takeaway you can't have from summer league, is a guy that like, was injured, is getting reps, and does he look like you know, that the injury is no longer bothering him. I think you could take that away, and I, it doesn't look like the injury is bothering him that much anymore. I think Chet Holmgren is a very good player. I don't know if he's a franchise-changing player or anything like that, despite how highly he was picked last year, but he looks completely healthy, and that's a good sign for the Thunder. 
I didn't even know before he started playing in the summer league. I didn't even know he was back. Like I didn't even know yeah. he was back from injury. They they really weren't talking about him coming back at all. And it's it's kind of crazy just considering like how much hype he had going into last season before he got injured. Um, to to ESPN or even any other media outlets, not even kind of mention that he's going to be back for summer league, but then make so much hype about Victor is kind of you know it's kind of crazy. I mean, he he really did have so much hype, but then no one even knew he was playing in summer league before he stepped on the court for the first game. My other uh, pointers I have: Keegan, Keegan Murray, Jabari Smith, also playing really, really nice, uh, really, really well. Uh, second year, obviously for them. Keegan Murray, forty-one points uh, versus the Heat uh, when they played in Sacramento way early in the summer league. Uh, Jabari Smith, thirty-eight points, seven rebounds, six assists versus the Pistons when they played earlier in the summer league as well. Yeah, uh, that's pretty. Um, it's yeah, they're they're definitely showing up too in the summer league. And I think it's uh, very common to see sophomores kind of play a lot better in the summer league because they've already have a whole year of NBA experience under their belt and summer league to them is probably just <laughs> a lot easier uh, after they played with uh, the big boys uh, for a whole year the prior year so that's not really surprising to me but it's always good to see them coming coming out as well and playing as expected I mean they're expected to be very well and they are playing very well so that's always good to see and I'm excited to see what they can do next year let's switch to baseball though uh obviously we're in all-star break right now um well i think today i think today it starts back up friday yeah um what do you guys think of the all-star game not many people like it anymore um is that kind of how you guys feel too it's kind of a snooze fest uh, i think it's a, i think it's a good thing for the league to market their all-stars obviously but playing for home field advantage which hopefully they're still doing for the national league and the american league that adds a spice to the game that adds a competitiveness to the game. Um, I don't, I don't believe they're doing that anymore. That's why the all-star game has lost its revenants. But I think that, uh, I think that it was a good game all around. You think they should still do that? The home field advantage? Yes. You want, you want to see that back? Oh, wow. I think a lot of people didn't like that. Absolutely not. That was one of the stupidest ideas in the history of professional sports. Like, just because the American League won the All-Star game, we're going to get the team that won 90 games. Like The most egregious example of this was in 2016. The Cubs won 108 games, and yet the Indians got home field advantage because the American League won the All-Star game. Like How incredibly dumb was that? The world outcome of the World Series could be decided based on the All-Star game. I thought that was a terrible idea. The biggest reason baseball's All-Star game is no longer relevant is the growth of interleague play. Back in the 60s and 70s, that was a lot of times the only time that you could watch American League guys and National League guys. Like, if you grew up in an American League city, it was the only time you got to watch Willie Mays or Sandy Koufax or all the great National League players. Or if you grew up in a National League city, it was the only time you got to see you know, some of those great American League players like Carl Yastrzemski or Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams or whoever else you want to name. So because now interleague play is so much a fabric of the game, plus we have the MLB Extra Innings channel, so – if you want to watch any team anywhere, you can do it. That's the biggest reason the All-Star game doesn't have the meaning it once did. Yeah, and you talk about the home field advantage, too. I mean, how much money you can lose on that, too. Just the amount of money that uh, World Series games make, and that could, that was another big factor. That was probably the biggest factor that made them ultimately give up on that role because owners were probably complaining so much about how much revenue they lost. Well, you know, Like you said, Zach, like back in – you know, back in 2016, I think you said uh, with the Cubs and uh, Cubs and Indians, like yep. Indians probably lost, or Indians made out on that. Yeah, the Indians made money. 
even though they were the worst team, they made out uh, financially and uh, just, you know, obviously just in play too. But that's, yeah, I, I agree. Definitely don't want to make any, uh, def- definitely want don't want to mess with the World Series based on the All-Star game. It, I know it did kind of make an incentive for players, but at the same time, you really just can't do that. That wasn't really. Especially when the people that decide the All-Star game are often like the fifth or sixth starting pitchers and the fifth middle infielders that play on like the Kansas City Royals back when they were bad or, you know, the Nationals now or whoever's just terrible. Not the best players were playing at the very end. Uh, record low in viewership though. I think it was like seven, 7 million. I think that was like the, the lowest it's ever been. If, if I read that correctly, yeah. uh, even lower than I think last year was also record low last year. And then this, this year even broke it again. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. I and mean, it, it's kind of funny. It's, it's very analogous to the NBA all-star game where people care way more about what's leading up to it, like the like the dunk contest and the home run derby, then they do the actual all-star game. So it'll be interesting to see like what they do going forward. Um only By other the thing way, I the have... uniforms suck too. Like just yeah. have, go back yeah. to can we just have everybody wear like their home uniforms? Like we we don't need yeah. to make a big charade out of what they're doing now. Yeah. It's not like basketball where you need to have a clear distinction or no. you know any other yeah, because it's obviously yeah. Only other thing I have about the game. Um Rocky, uh, first Rockies player to win MVP in the All-Star game. Not really that big of a deal. But uh, Elias Diaz, in MVP, the catcher, two-run homer in the eighth that gave the NL the lead. Um, but, yeah, I guess the only other thing I have to say about this is, speaking of that, NL, NL finally wins. The National League finally mm-hmm. snaps their losing streak. I think it was a nine nine uh, All-Star games in a row that the AL won. I think I read that correctly. So. Yeah. National League finally back on top in the All-Star game. But like we said, uh, not really like it matters. <laughs> I mm-hmm. don't think people really care because it's not, you know, it's kind of like, like you said, Zach, it's the games aren't really decided uh, based on how they should be decided. What do you guys think about the Home Run Derby, though, the day before? Any any uh, initial reactions on the Home Run Derby? thought it was uh... – I thought it was good, obviously. I thought it yeah. was interesting to see, especially uh, Ali, uh, Ali Rushman or Rustman from the Baltimore Orioles. Definitely, uh, yeah, he was uh, he was in the lead there. And then I guess it was Guerrero who beat him. Yeah, it was Guerrero who beat him out. And uh, that was that was some home run derby. I thought it was I thought it was okay. I thought it was a, thought it was a decent home run yeah. derby. Became Guerrero became the first uh, father son duo to to both be named home run derby champion. So I guess his dad did it um, when he played as well, and he was. So yeah. They, first... By the way, ESPN not Cuban born. He was born in Canada because where that's where his dad played. Played for the Expos. The, the graphic <laughs> team fell asleep on that one. They said they said he was born in Cuba. Yeah, they said <laughs> Vlad Junior was born in Cuba. Guess what? Vlad Senior wasn't born in Cuba either. Home run player uh, Julio Rodriguez, uh, Julio Rodriguez, excuse me, set the single round record forty one. Uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, Plays for the Mariners, obviously, hometown guy. Um, really cool to see a guy like you know what, the guy that plays in the stadium kind of uh, set set a record there. Not really surprising. Pretty much knows the stadium well more than anyone else does on that on that roster that that played in the uh, home run derby. So that was that was pretty cool though. Only other thing I have, um, 
Orioles, uh, Adley Rutschman, Rutschman, first batter to swing from both sides of the plate. That was pretty cool as well. Um, but all these things really are just the home run derby trying to switch things up to make it relevant. Still, I, we kind of talked about it earlier this show. All-star break in general, I think, is just becoming a problem. I, I think pe- I think ba- people like having a break from baseball. I think people like having that, uh, you know, five-day break that they get from baseball to be able to kind of clear their mind. And um, home run derby is always always fun, but all-star break, like we said, is definitely going to be something they need to they need to fix going forward. Let's switch to the NFL now. Um, really, the only new – I mean, obviously, there's some uh, signing new, like Bar- uh, Barkley might not play first week, but some minor NFL, you know, free agency stuff. But biggest news that came out, I guess, was the Dan Snyder, uh, John Gruden drama. Uh, as we all know, as a reminder, uh, Dan Snyder leaked emails from John Gruden that ultimately led him to be fired from the Raiders. Uh, and I guess ESPN just did kind of a story outlining this and just – basically pointing the picture about how Snyder did this to order in order to take off heat from himself uh, in the Washington organization. Just what are your just initial thoughts on this guys? Any, anything you want to kind of throw into this? I'm just shocked that Daniel Snyder would try and deflect the bad publicity from himself. No way. I mean, you talk about probably the worst donor in the history of the NFL, or at least he's in that conversation. You know, he did a blackmail PowerPoint just to make sure that, uh, the NFL pretty much did whatever he wanted. Uh, the big thing that came out of this was Mark Davis kind of felt pressure from the NFL to fire John Gruden when he didn't want to do it. So that was obviously one of the big juicy headlines from this whole thing. And now, you know, the sale of the commanders could end up uh, being complicated because of the legal issues. So that's the other big takeaway you get out of this as well. But it, it just goes to show you that Dan Snyder, once again, was a cancer to the NFL, a cancer to the Washington franchise, and they'll be much better when he's gone. Yeah, and obviously we'll talk about the Commanders a little bit more coming up with our interview with uh, Adam Epstein. Uh, great interview, but people don't really people kind of forget that the deal has not really been. It's uh, not final. It's not final yet. Yeah, I mean Dan mm-hmm. Snyder is still he still is the owner of the Commanders, and we kind of talked about this with Adam coming up soon. But the the Commanders are kind of in this uh, middle, uh, you know, kind of transition no period. Yeah, like mm-hmm. transition no man's land where they're going to begin the season in this ownership change. And that's, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of affects the team. It really, it really is. I, I don't, I mean, it's, I can only imagine it's going to make things complicated. Um, definitely going to cause the coaching staff to be a little bit confused. They're not going to really know who's staying, who's leaving, who's getting fired, who's getting hired. Um, you know, it's not going to be the head coach or anything like that, but definitely the associate coaches that, the, if it, you know, with an ownership change, that will definitely be changed out a little bit. So there's, it's going to be interesting to see how the season starts with the commanders and ultimately what ends up happening with this deal. How long do you guys think that this is going to happen? I mean, how long do you think this deal is going to kind of linger? And when do you finally think we're going to see this get finalized? Maybe they're, they're talking about voting it on voting on the ownership change next week. That's the NFL owners. But the problem is, I don't know if this is going to actually happen before the season starts. This might linger throughout the season for the commanders. And maybe even at the end of the season, they sell the team, which is not a good process if you're the Washington franchise, obviously. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Like I said, we'll talk more about Adam. Great interview with him coming up. Adam Epstein from the uh, Washington, D.C. area sports scene there. Uh, last thing to talk about in the sports world, nothing really else going on, unfortunately. But Wimbledon, do you guys have any comments about Wimbledon? 
Um, my really only thing I have to say is Djokovic is dominant. Uh, he's definitely going to win the thing. Uh, he's actually playing, I think, right now as we're recording this. Right. Uh, I think he's going to win, and he might win in straight sets. I don't actually know what it is right now. But... Yeah, he's up two sets, and they're in a tiebreaker right now. Yeah. So he's everyone he's played so far. He's pretty. I think he's. I don't quote me on this, but I think he's actually beat everyone he's played so far in straight sets. Uh, he <laughs> so... lost one in his last match. Okay. But that's it. But yeah, I mean. That's him and Chris Eubanks. That's uh, another American um, unranked entering Wimbledon. Uh, he beat the number fifth uh, overall uh, player, made the quarterfinals, top eight. Uh, yeah, that's another cool story about him. Yeah, I feel like every year you get somebody that kind of makes a run, an unranked person that makes a run that no one really expected. Cool to see an American do it in Chris Eubanks. And uh, yeah. Probably will be ranked after Wimbledon with the performance he's had this week. Yeah, I like seeing the, these last couple majors, we've had Americans make a little bit of a run. Francis Tiafo, remember, did it last year at the U.S. Open. Now you're seeing Chris Eubanks do it here at Wimbledon. So I think it's uh, American tennis is starting to get back, not to the level it once was, because American tennis used to dominate the sport. But we're at least getting quality players now. But it's Novak Djokovic's world. We're all just living in it when it comes to the tennis world. He's won every major at least three times. First player to ever do that. He's already won the first two majors this year. And if he completes this, this will be the second time in three years that he'll have won the first three majors of the year and gone for a chance at the single season Grand Slam, which hasn't happened since uh, 1969. So I, I don't think there's any doubt he's the greatest tennis player of all time. He's past Djokovic or past. Nadal, he's past Federer. He's on a whole different level. He's going to have the record so far out of the stratosphere that no one's ever going to break it. This, yeah. the, the fitness of this guy, the fact that he can hit every shot, the fact that you know he's lost or he's won multiple tournaments where he's lost the first set. It's almost like losing the first set is the best thing that can happen to him because he's just his focus is amazing. Um, yeah, there's, I think Carlos Alcaraz or. Uh, Danil Medvedev, whoever he faces in the final, will give him a challenge because those are a one seed and a three seed, respectively. But I just can't imagine them actually beating him. Djokovic has won the uh, Wimbledon title every year. He's been healthy since 2013, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah, I think he's going to do it again. You talk about his fitness, and that's that's also why he's going to ultimately go down as the greatest because Nadal is, Nadal, Nadal is still – dealing with injuries. He, he, I feel like he deals with injuries every single year. So that keeps him out of a lot of tournaments. Federer's retired. Yeah. So, I mean, he's his, his winning is only going to keep increasing past Federer, Federer and Nadal every single year. So he's going to ultimately end up going back down as the greatest in history. Yeah. He's won 23 majors and yeah. it's not impossible that he wins like 28. No, no. I mean, he's still, he's still going to play for a few more years. He looks in great shape too, just objectively. Yeah, he's thirty six. If you just look like, at him, yeah. Weird, like that's the other thing. Like tennis players used to be ancient when they were twenty five, and now with Roger and Nadal and Novak, these guys are winning more majors after they turned twenty five than before. It's incredible. Wimbledon final, men's final Sunday. Yeah, the ladies' final Saturday. Uh, we'll see what happens. All right, makers and fakers of the week. Uh, Guys, Justin, who is your maker of the week? My maker of the week is Aleas Diaz winning the All-Star Game MVP and hitting the game-winning home run for the National League, which signified their first win in nine years at the MLB All-Star Game. Yeah, talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, he he ended up winning it. I think it was the eighth 
eighth inning that he got the home run that mm-hmm. ultimately ended yeah. up having the yeah yeah great for him uh zach any huger maker of the week yeah Djokovic just wrapped it up so he's going the final officially uh no my maker of the week's dance that no i'm just kidding it's not Daniel <laughs> uh no my maker of the week I, i'm giving it to chet holmgren coming back you know everybody knows what kind of talent he has he's going to be a guy that i think is an impact player at least defensively early on in his career so yeah we're, we're kind of pressed for it at this time of year but uh so i'm going to give it to people that are actually doing things right now and Novak Djokovic would be too easy to pick, so I'm going to go with Ted Holmgren. I'm going to go with, uh, um, excuse me, uh, Colin Castleton. Um, Ca- yeah, Castleton from the LA Lakers. Uh, recent draft pick uh, on the 9th, July 9th. Uh, so pretty pretty early in the summer league, I think it was the Lakers' second game. 21 points, 14 rebounds uh, when they played the Hornets. Uh, Lakers desperately need a true center, so uh, I I'm, it's really exciting to see him uh, coming out performing. Definitely going to be a contender for the center spot. If he center spot, if he keeps playing the way he is in the summer league, he's going to compete with Jackson Hayes for minutes for sure uh, this year coming up for the Lakers. And like I said, might even get the starting job if he can continue playing like he is in the summer league and uh, when the season uh, when the season starts. So yeah, Colin Castleton, uh, that's my uh, maker of the week. Uh, Zach, who's your faker of the week? Who? Uh, faker of the week. I'm going to go outside the uh, box. I'm going to go with the Tennessee volunteer football program. They just got put on five years probation reduction of scholarships by 28 during the total probation period because of everything that happened during the Jeremy Pruitt's uh, situation with the whole money in McDonald's bags and all that kind of stuff. So no bowl ban, but you never like to be on probation because now if anything happens, the NCAA can actually put a bowl ban on you or do something more serious. Now the NCAA doesn't have the power of what's had, obviously, but the biggest thing is when you lose scholarship, that that just means less players that you're going to get on your roster. And now if you, well, cumulatively, if you have 10 less players on your roster, that, that adds up, you know, once you get in those big games against Georgia or Alabama or whoever you're playing at the end of the year, that's going to matter because those guys have the depth and you may not. So I'm going to go with Tennessee as my faker of the week. My faker of the week. Going to go back to uh, go back to baseball, the home run derby. Pete Alonzo um, only hit <laughs> 22 home runs in the home run derby. Uh, Mets currently struggling, obviously, right now. Aaron Myers, I think, was the guy pitching to him in, in the home run derby. He is now the hitting coach for the Mets. Uh, yeah, not not a good look. For sure, uh, given I think Alonzo was expected by a lot of people to be the winner of the entire home run derby. I think he had the best odds at three hundred going at plus three hundred going into it. But but yeah, I mean it's uh, yeah it's a, it's a, it's an overreaction, of course. Uh, it's doesn't really the home run derby doesn't paint any actual picture into the league and how you know they're going to do in the second half of the season. But optics don't look good. Aaron Myers, pitcher for Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo only had twenty two home runs. Uh, in the entire home run derby. Um, the derby actually hurts players. Like Bobby Abreu yeah. one year had 41 homers during the derby, I think, in one round. And then the rest of the season after that, he hit six home runs the entire second half of the season. So uh, there's a lot of teams that don't want their best players in the home run derby, and I don't really blame them. I'm actually kind of wanted to get into that. Why do you guys think – because it is true, Zach, like people, the players struggle after the home run derby. Yeah. Why do you think they even do it? Because it messes with their swing. Because most of the time when you're playing a regular baseball game, you're not always swinging for the fences. Now, some some guys are just because they're power hitters. But most of the time, you're just trying to make contact. Where when you're swinging at the home run derby, 
you're trying to hit home runs. You're trying to hit the ball 400 feet. That is a significant difference as far as mindset is concerned. That's a significant difference as far as, you know, your swing tactics are concerned. So all of a sudden now you get used to swinging for the fences and trying to hit every ball as hard as possible. Now you go back to playing regular games and instead of, you know, taking this slider and hitting a single out of it, you're trying to blast it out of the park and that leads to more pop-ups and fly-outs and things like that. So it, the difference of your swing is the biggest reason why players, I think, struggle in the second half of the season because you have to change the way you swing the bat when you're trying to hit home runs versus you're just playing in the natural flow of a game. Well, my question is then why do why do people do it? Why do players? I mean, what is the incentive? I mean, I guess the notoriety from being notoriety. A, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I with me as a player, I would be way more concerned, especially second half of the season, especially if you're a team that's competing. Uh, for a playoff spot, I would be way more concerned about that than I would be the home run derby. I mean, they don't do they make money? I mean, they they do make money off. They the make money, derby, right? yeah, yeah. But but yeah, I, I, and even more so, I'm surprised the coaches let them uh, compete in it. I really am. I, I don't know if they have the authority or even allowed to have the players sit out. But I just given like you said, Zach, just how you know how often hitters uh, struggle after the home run derby. I'm really even surprised that the coaching staff lets them even. I think it's different, especially with younger players. Like, if it affects them far more. Like, you know, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and they were doing home run derbies. That's what they were doing the entire time. They were always swinging for the fences. And, True. you know, you, you, veteran guys typically figure this out. So I would be more worried about the young guys. If, you know, Bryce Harper, you know, Vlad Jr., some of these guys want to do it, and they've got a proven track record, I don't have a problem with it. Okay, well. On that note, we'll get to our interview with uh, Adam Epstein from the uh, Washington, D.C. area. Uh, like I said, talk all things Washington, D.C. sports with him. Uh, start with the Wizards, touch base with the commanders a little bit, um, you know, get into the Nationals as well. So Ovechkin, how, how he's doing, his age coming up. But, yeah, great interview with him. And uh, without further ado, yeah, with, uh, here is uh, Adam Epstein. Okay, we now head to the nation's capital to talk some uh, sports in the nation's capital with Adam Epstein, host of A-Rod Radio on 9:10 a.m., The Fan. Um, Adam, we got a kind of crazy sports year for the uh, Washington, D.C. fans. Wizards making some news in the offseason here. Commanders obviously having a pretty... Uh, interesting offseason with uh change in ownership here but we'll start with the wizards kind of just being the most relevant here as we head into the nba free agency and they've made a lot of moves so far in nba free agency um how let's just start here with this question how do these fans feel with this middle build as people are calling it going on right now not really tanking the wizards not really tanking but also not really putting the best product out there to even make the playoffs this year just what are the fans what are the fans saying about this well, I mean, all of D.C. sports were a failure this past year. I mean, Wizards, Caps, Nats, um, Commanders, all of them failed to make the playoffs. This was rock bottom for D.C. sports. I keep saying this. We're watching now the rebirth of D.C. sports with the Commanders going to have a new owner. Caps have a new coach. Nats in their middle of their rebuild. Wizards, they didn't make the playoffs. You know, 20 teams make it because of the play-in tournament, and they tried to make it and failed. That's why they had to fire Tommy Shepard. It was embarrassing they didn't make it. You bring in President Michael Winger, GM Will Dawkins, and everyone said, oh, they're going to tank right away. Well, that's not their plan because everybody knows that 
this was the year to tank to get Victor Wembanyama. If you missed out on this, you might as well wait three or four years for Cooper Flag and the Boozer twins, right? So the team is going to try to structure themselves now to be very flexible. Kyle Kuzma, $25 million a year. That sounds like a lot, but it's a great deal compared to guys like Fred Van Fleet and uh, Bain with Memphis, right? So you get Jordan Poole, you get Kyle Kuzma, you get a couple young draft picks, and you really have some flexibility with this roster to open your team up in the next two or three years to attract some free agents and some high rookies here if you can – because you're not going to be a good team, but you're not going to bottom out yet. The plan, in my mind, is to tank for the 2026 draft, and then you try to get the number one pick. Yeah, um, they haven't. They missed the playoffs. I, th- I mean, the last time they were higher than an eight seed was seven years ago in t- yeah. the 2016, 2017 season. They made it to the second round, and I think they lost to Boston. I believe so. But yep. Yeah, I mean, 2018, 2019 season, 11 seed missed the playoffs. 2019 season, 10th seed missed the playoffs. 20, 28th seed, 21 last year, or 21 yeah, 12th seed, and then last year they were also the 12th seed again. So yeah, I just it just kind of sounds like. To me, I mean, I think from an outside fan looking in, they're always just this team that are trying to build a competitive culture. Um, but I, but fans don't really want that in basketball. I mean, you look what the Sixers did. They created the process, kind of taking to get these good draft picks. But the Wizards really just don't seem to do that. And like you said, the 2024 draft class by a lot of people is certainly not as good as it's been the last two years and certainly not as good as it was this past year. And so I think – is that kind of what the plan is for the Wizards then? Is they're kind of they're going to try to be competitive, build up that winning culture again, get the fans excited again in these next two years, and then maybe, you know, come two years from now, start the tanking process, like you said, for the Cooper Cup and then, uh, not the, you know, the Cooper and then the Boozer twins. Is that kind of the plan here going yeah, forward? Yeah, I mean, look back. So you mentioned 2017. That's when Bradley Beal and John Wall <clears throat> got to the second round, game seven against the Celtics. Wall hits a game winner in game six. They go to Boston. They lose to Kelly Olynyk. I mean, so embarrassing, right? That's the end of that Wizards team. Oh, no. They want to run it back. So we pay John Wall Supermax, bad contract. Then we pay Otto Porter, bad contract. Then you pay Bradley Beal, bad contract. The new GM and president, Michael Winger and Will Dawkins, have just decided we're not paying Pat bad contracts anymore. We don't care what happens on the court. We're just not giving these bad contracts that are going to handcuff us because Bradley Beal's contract was the worst that I've ever seen in the NBA. He had a no trade cause. He's making $50 million and he plays like he's worth $25 million. So the plan right now is just to get a roster of guys that are under, under contract for a good number because really the NBA right now is a numbers game. You look at the Denver Nuggets, all five of their guys in the starting lineup were under contract. That was a big part of why they were able to bring the team together and, you know, they were a contender and then they were really then they were in a finals team. Right. So it takes a few years. Yes, you're right with the winning culture, but it's all about flexibility in the roster, too. Do you think they actually win the playoffs or do you think they make the playoffs this year? The Wizards? What the, what they no. have? I mean, the trio of Kuzma, Paul Jones, you don't think they make the playoffs this year? No, I think that they, they you know, top out probably 40 wins for I mean, maybe it's a play in, you know, performance, but uh, I have a feeling actually that you're going to see some wheeling and dealing. So like Kyle Kuzma, Jordan Poole might not be on the roster come the end of the season. Those are two perfect pieces that you could shop around the trade deadline. Like these new uh, president and GM, they're going to trade pieces. And now that you have pieces that are tradable, Tyus Jones could be tradable, right? All these guys are guys that were kind of bench players on other teams that now have an ability to prove, hey, I can be a starter on a team. I can be a big piece for a contending uh, franchise. 
And so you're going to throw these guys in the lineup and you might end up trading some of them. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of um, – I read Athletic had a, a couple pieces actually where they mentioned the 2019 Thunder and what they did with Paul George, uh, how they got Paul George. Is that kind of the same thing with Kyle Kuzma? You know, maybe keep him, mm-hmm. develop him, get some winning under him, and then uh, trade him away with some a big market too, obviously, in D.C. So uh, do you think even? that like they did Washington kind of could attract Leonard, more free agents? Kind of, you know, with the Clippers with Kawhi Leonard, if you know what I'm talking about, is that kind of what they're mm-hmm. planning on doing in the Clippers here is, you know – develop Kyle Kuzma, get some players that they mm-hmm. can actually have some very good value for, for even a better trade for a player that can play with these eventual draft picks they'll get maybe two, three years from now. I mean, you brought up Paul George, and that was great. I mean, look at that. One team, one year with OKC, him and Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard ends that franchise with that game-winning shot. Well, they had a plan in place. They traded Paul, right? They moved Paul George. They moved Westbrook. Now they're one of the most young and fun teams in the NBA. I love which Chet Holmgren is going to bring to them if they're healthy this year. Uh, Josh Giddy, right? So there's three young pieces there with SGA that they can build around just by one move that they made. And so exactly, I think that's what that's what Kyle Kuzma's potential could be, is a Paul George type player that gives you a winning culture and then you move him to a destination, maybe back to LA. You know, he wants to play for the Lakers and you bring in some draft picks here that you can uh, really develop with. I mean, Kyle Kuzma, in my mind, could be a fringe all-star this season. He is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. I think he's going to average 24 points a game. He was 17 two years ago, 21 this year. So you're seeing a trend upwards with him. And I think it's all about just giving him the opportunity to go make plays. He can hit the three. He can drive to the basket. He's, you know, six foot ten. He can really do it all in the NBA right now. Yeah, so what we're referring to is, you know, back in the 2017 season, the Clippers held on to Griffin when they got rid of uh, Chris Paul, uh, and basically ended up trading Griffin halfway through that season. Ended up getting good some good players for him. Uh, you know, Bovon Bovon Mordanovich, uh, Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, and then two draft picks. And then out of those two draft picks, uh, they got Shea Gilders Alexandra as one of them. And then that actually led to the trade in 2019, where they were able to get Paul George and even later Kawhi Leonard. So if that's what the Wizards can do, uh, what they're planning on doing going forward. I mean, that would be obviously in their best interest. You combine that with building up some draft capital in the next two, three years, and then you're going to definitely be an exciting team here, maybe come, you know, 2025 or so. But let's kind of talk about that, though. I mean, that's do the Wizards have to rebuild in draft? They really can't do much through trade, and they really can't do much through free agency. I mean, they don't have any highly sought-after young talent, and they don't really have any first-round picks at their disposal to trade. And then Washington also has, unfortunately, never really been a huge free agency destination, like a a very sought-after free agency destination for players. So do they have to basically trade? uh, Do they have to rebuild through the draft, I mean, to get better? Well, that's definitely one plan, but I would say Washington hasn't been a destination because ownership didn't let that happen. You know, Ernie Grunfeld was in charge uh, under Tommy, under uh, Ted Leonsis, and his goal was, hey, we have to get to the playoffs. They couldn't bottom out. They couldn't tank. Well, the new president and GM have good relationships all over the country. They've worked with the Clippers and the OKC Thunder. They've worked at several different stops. I'm going to throw a name out there. Giannis Attentacumpo is going to come out of his contract in a few years. That's the kind of guy... Wizards are going to have room, and we're going to be the only teams in the NBA that have room because teams are locked into contracts. This new CBA is going to screw the Phoenix Suns. It's going to screw a lot of teams around the league, and you're going to have superstars that say, 
hey, I want to get max money. I want to get a big a big money deal, but I can't play in this place. I can't play in this place. And so I think Washington will attract a star in three years because of the amount of flexibility they'll have. Like I said, it's all a numbers game now. How many room, How much room do you have under the cap to bring in several pieces? Because uh, nobody just wants to come by themselves. But if Washington has seventy million open, you know, then you could grab Giannis and uh, a Kawhi Leonard, you know, something like that in the next few years. Yeah, maybe gets older too at that point, gets more into politics. You kind of kind of laugh at it, but it, I think a lot of people would love to be in Washington if they get, you know, like look at LeBron James and all the, you know, Philip Philip stuff that he likes to do right now, um, you know, in the politics. Well, realm that he likes to kind of be in right now. If you get a player like that, that really does have interest in kind of making a difference in the country or whatever, especially as they get older, it's going to be more of an attractive destination for free agencies to go. Um, Given that it is, you know, like you said, Justin, it is a, it is a big sports market. I mean, they have every major sport. They definitely have a big following. You have all of Northern Virginia. You have a lot of Maryland, even West a little bit too, in the, in the Delaware too, as well as you get these a lot of Washington fans. So yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question, Justin. Yeah, for it's you, definitely I mean, a big market, and you know, it's a big market that's slept on because we haven't won a championship since 1978 in basketball, right? And so for years we've been mediocre. Um, I would argue, though, that How we have you, attracted role, some big game Eric free agents. Will play the team has to be good. When the team was good, you know, seven, eight years ago, who came? Paul Pierce. I mean, that was a Ron damn big name. Paul Pierce came for one year to play alongside Brad LeBeal and John Wall. Michael Jordan came to D.C. 20 years ago, right? So we have attracted big names before, but there has to be a reason that they want to come here. You know, the politics are fun or, hey, you're in the nation's capital is great, but you have to have some building blocks here. And I think the new president and GM have this vision in mind that, hey, we can be an attractive destination if we have a lot of cap room. That, that's what these players, all, all these guys in the league, they want to get paid now. Loyalty is nothing. So if you give them the most bag of money, then you're going to attract them the most. Let's talk about um, Bilal Kulabe. Uh, I, I think I'm pronouncing his name right. It's a little little bit of a challenge. But how are, how are fans feeling about him? Um, I think he was drafted – Four, the seventh overall. No, seventh. Yeah, seventh, right? I, I don't know why I was saying fourth, but yeah, seventh overall traded to the Wizards from the Pacers. So the Pacers drafted him, that then traded to the Wizards. Um, a lot of people forget that he was uh, actually a teammate of Victor Wembanyama uh, in France. Doesn't turn nineteen until end of the month, though. Still really young, but at the same time, it's kind of exciting because he does have a lot of veteran players who are not superstars, but they are. These definitely are veteran players that can play very well. You know, Kyle Kuzma, like we said, Jordan Poole, Tyrese Jones. They're they're all going to take a lot of pressure off him. So are fans kind of excited about that, just being able to let him kind of develop like under the radar a little bit and yeah. see what he can do in a couple of years from now? That's, that's the great point right there, right? There's no pressure on winning right now because losing games is fine. We're racking up draft picks. So you want to give these young players a chance to play. And so Koulibaly is the perfect draft pick. It was it – was, uh, you know, swing for the fences there. They're going for a home run. They're going for the next Giannis. He grew two inches. They're hoping he can still grow another three or four inches. And uh, he's really raw and athletic. Um, it's going to be frustrating to watch him this season because he will make a lot of mistakes. 
but in you know a couple summer league games already, he's shown me some potential, and uh, it, it's just exciting because, like you said, there's no pressure to win this season, so he can go under the radar and work on his craft, work on his game, and uh, he will get a lot of minutes. Last question about the Wizards before we move on. I know you said what you think they might do this season, but what would be the best winning number uh, for the Wizards this year? I mean, it wouldn't. It would probably be something that's uh, enough to gain momentum, like we keep saying, but enough to really stay under the radar too, and maybe even have a better percentage for draft picks. I mean, what was that like? Twenty five, thirty would probably be the sweet spot for the Wizards this year, right? As as far as a win total would go. Um. Well, kind of I mean, hard to say. Yeah. It, I think that I think they top out. Like what, four eighty-two game season? I think they top out forty-two, just over five hundred. Um, most likely, they're probably going to be uh, below five hundred basketball team. That's what I would say. Move on to the Washington Commanders now. Obviously, a lot of news coming out. Dan Snyder no longer the um, owner of the team. I, they're currently in transition to the new ownership group with the Harris Group. Let's talk about that. I mean, is that kind of who would buy the uh, the fans? Is that going into this new season when September comes and even August that you guys are still going to be kind of in this transition period between ownership groups? Is that a cause for concern for the fans? No, we're celebrating. We're all popping bottles, champagne. I mean, Dan Steiner's tortured this franchise for 24 years. Um, It's all about, hey, we're getting out of the tunnel. We're finally seeing the light. You know, we can say goodbye to the devil. That's that's literally how bad Dan Snyder has been as an owner. He's, he's been a guy that makes it so nobody wants to go to the games anymore. The last two years, FedEx Field was ranked the last place in the NFL in attendance, and the people they did go to the game weren't Commanders fans at all. They were other teams' fans. So uh, just saying goodbye to Dan Snyder is a celebration. You know, it will be interesting because I was talking about it on my show yesterday, and there were callers that said, hey, we're going to end up complaining about Josh Harris in the next few months. And that might be true, but I don't think he's going to be anywhere as bad as Dan Snyder with mm-hmm. the off-the-field drama and the fact that, you know, Dan Snyder didn't listen to anyone. It was, oh, I'm the sm- me, 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 me. I'm the smartest guy in the room. And Josh Harris has already answered that question and said, no, I'm bringing in Magic Johnson. I mean, that is a huge name. And he's a winner in all his past stops, not just the NBA, uh, but owning the Dodgers, owning a WNBA franchise and more. And then he brought in Mitchell Rails, who people don't realize is a big time political piece in D.C. that hopefully will be able to lock in the new stadium site. Uh, back in the District of Columbia. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I'm going to ask you that before you you finish with that. What is the word on a new stadium? So they are, I mean, is there plans to break ground anytime soon? Because obviously we know FedEx is falling apart. Literally, it's falling apart. It's falling on players (laughs) as they walk out. Yeah. Player, I mean, fans are getting injured. It's it's a mess. So what is the, what is the, any word on the new stadium coming about? It's a little disappointing because the number, the, Year I'm here is 2030, 2031. FedEx is still under contract till 2028. Um, you know, new ownership would have to get get going right away, and they want to take their time with this plan here. And also, there's a there's a three horse race. Maryland wants to keep the team. Maryland is obsessed with the Commanders. They want to build out Landover, even though everyone thinks Landover sucks and Federal sucks. They have this plan of making it a town center, making it really nice. So they're desperate to keep it. Virginia wants it. Virginia wants it bad, but they have offered Dumfries in some crappy areas in Virginia. And then D.C. had this plan to uh, build up RFK again, tear it down and build that back up. So right now, you're going to see bidding between these three, Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. And because of that, there's going to be a holdup into any announcement about a new stadium. 
Why is RFK still there, by the way? Do they because, still do anything in RFK? Because the government's done nothing with that land. It's They've done nothing. It's just, it sits there. Uh, it was used for DC United after the commanders or after the skins for a number of years. And then DC United built a new stadium in Southeast DC. So since then, RFK has been empty. Yeah, I mean, you would wonder why they don't just tear it down at this point. I mean, yeah, for it's something. a whole it's a whole political thing that's over my head. It's like certain it's owned by this, and then the federal government gets this, but the district gets that. It's. I mean, anyone that drives through DC, it's the first thing you see if you're coming out. If you're coming down from, I guess, I mean, like for me, example, if I came down from the Philadelphia area, I guess that would be more like east, northeast, or whatever. Like that's the first thing you see when you come into the city, and it's a dump. It's completely you know ransacked. It's you know, uh, rusting a little bit. It's, it's a dump and it's an eyesore to see. And it's one of the first things you see when you come to the nation's capital from that side of the country. So it's, I don't know why it's still there. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't think anything was happening in that stadium and it sounds like it's not. And it would be cool if they can just tear it down. And I would love to see this new stadium in DC, like actually in the city limits. Very hard to do, obviously. And you can only imagine why, you know, Virginia and Maryland would want the stadium inside their states because of the revenue they can make. But let's go back to Snyder real fast and kind of reference it with Rivera. Um, Rivera, obviously, I think a lot of people would say kind of had an underwhelming uh, time so far in Washington. Mm -hmm. But was a lot of that because he had to deal deal with so many off-season issues and wasn't really able to focus on the day-to-day operations so much on the field? And kind of, you know, following up on that question, are fans kind of optimistic that now that Snyder is, is on his way out, Rivera will have a lot more energy and a lot more mind space to kind of focus on the actual football operations and that we can expect to see a lot better things from Rivera in the next year or two? It's a tough question to answer. I mean, Rivera fought cancer in front of his players, and because of that, they respect him like crazy. They will run through a wall for him. He's built up the culture that was poop because of Dan Snyder and Jay Gruden, and he built it up into at least a bit of a winning culture, and they did make the playoffs. But I don't know if he's the guy to take us to the next level. Maybe Eric Bieniemy is. The problem with uh, Ron Rivera is that he's a dinosaur. You know, you look at the NFL these days, the winning coaches are in their 40s. All right. He's I think he's 60, you know, so um, and it just it that's that's the truth in the NFL these days is you can't be an older coach and uh, still dominate unless you're Andy Reid or Bill Belichick. Basically, that's it. Nobody else that's over 50 is winning games at all anymore. And so it's uh, one of those things where, you know, Ron Rivera is a defensive minded guy. The league, you got to score 30 points to win now. You got to have a strong offense. And our defense has find found ways to suck. At times this year, you know, statistically, they ended up number one on third down. The first five games in the year, they were last place on third down. So, you know, defensive statistics are weird in the NFL. It's all about getting hot and streaky. But the offense is the problem with Rivera. It has been since he came in. The offense and the quarterback, you know, he came in and his first answer was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Really? Ryan Fitzpatrick? Then your second answer was Carson Wentz? He should have lost his job. You know, with those two answers. Now he's going to try with Sam Howell, and that he thinks that's going to save his job. Most likely, new ownership group will equal a new coach and a new quarterback in the next two years. Yeah, so Sam. Um, I mean, I would like him to be the replacement for Ron Rivera. My take is move Ron to the front office. Let him be a guy in the building because they love him. Uh, but he cannot make any decision on the field. Like, he doesn't know when to challenge plays. It's simple things like that. He doesn't know when to call timeout. Um, so offensively, I really think 
what we're seeing in training camp is Ron Rivera standing on the side, or not training camp, minicamp, Rivera's standing on the sideline and Bienemy's running everything offensively. So hopefully Bienemy will not just make the play calls. He will uh, you know, make the substitutions. He will make make the challenge plays, right? He will call timeout and make sure that the time management aspect is a lot better. I think he could make a huge impact because one thing that we haven't talked about is Scott Turner was the offensive coordinator with Ron Rivera. Scott Turner has not been a successful coordinator in the NFL ever. He got the job because his dad, North Turner, was very successful. And so Ron handcuffed himself to a bad offense coordinator. And for three years, the team had a bad offense. I think the enemy is a creative genius. If you've seen what he did with Kansas City, where they're running around in circles, and then all of a sudden three guys are wide open. I'm really excited for what he can bring to the offensive side. Yeah, I mean, Commanders are kind of an interesting team because they're really not far away from being a very dominant team. I I mean, you talk about, you already mentioned the defense. uh, uh, First in the league in third down conversions, opponents third down conversions, I think it was like just over 32%. And then seventh in the league, seventh in the league last year in points allowed opponents points allowed so their defense is definitely already at a winning stage it's just their offensive line and then their quarterback that they've never really been able to find so it is i mean it, it I'm, I'm i'm really excited to see what eric Bieniemy is going to do uh this year I, I hope we can get the offense uh figured out and because like i said i mean commanders really are not far away from being a team uh that that can really compete but that being said i mean what do you think the commanders can make the playoffs this year. I mean, it's not going to be, uh, in, it's not going to be winning the NFC East. It's just not, but NFC in general as a conference is not very strong. So do you think they have a chance to make a wild card this year? Well, I mean, there's a lot of questions uh, you know, the defense, you're right, should be elite. You look at the offensive side of the ball. How much more wins does Eric Bieniemy bring to the team that went eight, eight and one last year? Well, you're going to have a new quarterback with Sam Howell. That's the biggest question. What is he like? Uh, most likely, Sam Howe is going to be a bust. He's not going to be a anybody in the NFL, right? He was a fifth round pick out of UNC. They're not known for football. You know, I'm just, you know, coming off of a guy that has watched the game a lot. I like Caleb Williams at USC. So I would be fine with the commanders sucking completely this year and getting him because I really think to win in the NFL, you need an elite quarterback. Um, with, all be, with all that being said, I'm still a huge fan and I hope Sam Howe has success. And if Sam Howe is just average, this team can win eight games, right? Because who was average last year? Carson Wentz, maybe below average, mixed with Taylor Heineke. So you're looking at a team that went eight, eight, and one with terrible quarterback play. If Sam Howe can just not be terrible, they should be able to win eight or nine games again. It's going to come down to in the division. Maybe we don't win the division, but can we beat the Giants twice, right? Can we beat the Cowboys twice? I think those two teams, the commanders should have a good chance against the Eagles. You know, they're going to blow past everyone. But I do not think that the Giants and Cowboys are that much better than the Commanders. Yeah, and you know, you just talk about the wild card too. Even the just last year, if they even if they didn't have that tie, they could have had a chance. I'm not going to do the numbers right now and look into a too depth in too much depth right now. But even if, if they just would have had that tie be a win, and yeah. certainly if they would have won one more game, they would have been in the playoffs last year. So they're not they're not far away. We'll finish up. This has been really awesome, Adam, but we'll just finish up real fast, kind of rapid fire with Nationals and Capitals. Um, Nationals, obviously, on a rebuild right now. Uh, in the We're in all-star break right now. Uh, you know, last place in the NL East, fourth from last overall in the entire MLB. Uh, anything to really say about the Nationals? The only thing I really have written down is, um, uh, <laughs> help me on the pronunciation here, but Jameer 
Catalero, uh, popular trade option going to the trade deadline. Um, is that going to really do anything for the team? I don't really know, but just kind of what is the outlook going forward for the Nationals as you know we head into this rebuild? I mean, have a, they have a really good farm system. I know that, uh, but really what does that translate into? And more importantly, I mean, how many years are we actually looking at until Nationals are relevant again? I think the Wizards will get back into the postseason before the Nationals. The biggest problem for the Nationals right now is that the learners want to sell the franchise. Until they sell the franchise, you're not going to be able to spend the money. You know, that was the whole thing. They traded Juan Soto. Juan Soto hasn't signed a long-term deal yet. It made no sense for trading him. The only reason they traded him is because the ownership wasn't going to pay him because they want to sell the franchise. And so when you look at this rebuild, it's really been starting since 2019, the year they won the World Series. They didn't bring back Rendon, right? Instead, they paid Strasburg, who's barely played since then. Let Scherzer go. Uh, then Bryce, you know, Bryce Harper was the year before that, then Soto, then Trey Turner. Right. And so we've sat, seen this rebuild for four years now and it hasn't gone anywhere because we're waiting for the sale of the franchise. Once that happens, then all of a sudden you can see the rebuild start to take shape. Now, Mike Rizzo has done a good job with the draft picks, right? We got Cruz last week. He was the best player in college baseball. Um, in my opinion, better than Skeens. Um, and so that should be, you know, three or four years from now. But I do think the, the path for the Wizards and the Commanders is a lot cleaner to get back into the postseason because the sale of the franchise has not happened for the Nats. MLB is it... – oh. um, So one reason that I've heard the learners want to sell is because they've already bought all the land in Southeast D.C., all the hotels and – uh, condos are learner buildings. So they are going to make money on rent in that area that is blowing up Southeast DC for years and years and years. They don't need to make money on the baseball team. Also, the learner, um, the fa- the grandfather or the father of the learners passed away after the World Series. And that was kind of like that. They wanted to win it and have the franchise for their dad. When he died, it was, hey, we're going to look into selling it. Uh, a few names out there, Ted Leonsis. He wants to have a monopoly. He has the Wizards. He has the Capitals. He has the Mystics. He has a G League team. And, oh, yeah, he brought he just brought in a Katori investment fund, uh, which I don't like at all. I mean, he's taking the blood money. But he's taking that money because he also just bought NBC Sports Washington. If, you have, if you've been in the area, that's not NBC Sports Washington anymore. It's now called Monumental Sports. And they're not really even going to cover the Redskins, the Commanders. They're going to cover his teams. And so he's trying to build this you know, empire here. And now that he's got the money from coming in from Qatar, he would have enough money to make another bid for the Nats. I'm just praying it doesn't happen because uh, I don't like the way he's owned the Caps and the Wiz. Yeah, is there going to be actual, just from a legal standpoint, not not because of the money he has, but uh, not where the money's coming from, but just because of the monopoly part of it. Is there going to be some uh, blowback from, you know, there's going to be blowback Washington. from fans, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, he was already allowed to submit a bid. So it's not like anyone's going to say, hey, you can't own three teams. Interesting. Because, you know, a lot of the times I feel like in other businesses, in other sectors of business, you wouldn't be allowed to do that. But I guess in sports, you would be allowed to do that because it really would be a monopoly at that point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, um, look at Stan Kroenke, though, has like 15 teams and he keeps winning championships. MLB is kind of interesting, though, in it. It's, it's a sport where the money that's put into a team is a lot more of the owner's money than any other sport, you know, more than football, basketball, hockey. Um, 
Do you think there's value in an owner putting money into a team though before he sells it? It's kind of like a house, right? If you put money into a house or put money into a car before you sell it, it's going to be worth more. Is there any kind of, that's kind of not really, that's not really a nationals question. It's just kind of an interesting side off that I had. Is there any value in putting money into a team like before you're getting ready to sell it? Because you're saying that he's not, you know, understandably speaking, if he's ready to sell a team, he doesn't want to put money into it if he's just going to get rid of it eventually. But is there actually value in, you know, making a team better before you sell it? So that way it's actually worth more when you do go to sell it. If they're, if they're guys under good contracts, you know, you, you don't want to sell. I mean, I, let's say you are, you're about to buy the Nationals. And then I say, oh, yeah, we just signed Juan Soto to $550 million. I'll pay the first $50 million, but then you owe him the rest five hundred. I know that's that's kind of why he wasn't brought in, right? Because uh, they're going to sell the franchise. So you already have a championship. You're selling a team that won another won a championship. Um, you know, I get it. You would want to sell them with a pretty good roster, uh, but it's um, it's a large number that they're looking for, and so that's that's all the thing. It's not like there's a hundred billionaires walking around. Not to put you on the spot, but do you know what that number is offhand? If you don't, it's fine. I just was curious uh, if you know what that no, number I, is. No, I, I know Ted Ted Leonsis asked uh, put in I think one billion. And I think they're looking for two or two or three. Yeah, yeah. I would think it would be more than that, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they did just – it wasn't long ago that they won, you know, the World Series. People kind of forget about that, but <laughs> it seems like it was so long ago, but it really wasn't. Uh, speaking of which, a team that also kind of won recently, Capitals, uh, missed the playoffs last year. We'll keep this brief. I know, you know, we've got to get going here. But missed the, missed the playoffs last year. Uh, I know Washington loves the Capitals. Uh, probably one of the biggest – hockey towns i think there there is in the in the country just i can just say that by living there and just by what i hear from other people as well just around the country uh pretty devastating for the fans to not make the playoffs last year especially when you have so much uh expectations for the capitals are they going to make it next year what do they have to do to kind of get back to that space and just overall like just one big thing that you that you want to say on the capitals is going into next season I would 100% say if um, Ovechkin's father didn't pass away, the team would have been in the playoffs this year. team was playing really well, and then he missed, I think, five or six straight games. That, and they've got to stay healthy. Carlson missed a bunch of games. Oshie, you know, these are older guys. Uh, if they have any injury hit, you know, problems, then it's going to linger throughout the season and into the postseason. Uh, so it's really about health. And then they've got to get younger and quicker on the ice. And uh, hopefully, you know, that's the change in mindset from coaches, from LaViolette, who's an old school guy, to Coach Carberry, Carbs, who was with the Hershey Bears. He's been in the organization. And I love it because it's kind of like we're promoting our own, uh, you know, we mm-hmm. let him grow within this organization. He really gets along with Ovechkin. So I love to hear that. Um, I do think the Caps could definitely get into the playoffs as a six, seven, or an eight seed. And then with the Stanley Cup, once you're in, anything's possible. Yeah, I know that's a big concern for the team as well. Uh, the age factor is, is a big concern. And, but they can't really bring – you You just kind of touched on it a little bit here too. They can't bring many people in though because they have such as – they have no cap speed. I mean, I think it's under $900,000, like just shortly uh, – just, just shy under $900,000 of cap space. So they kind of are tied to what they really can do and who they can really bring in. It's about developing the young talent I guess they have. And is it – you know, having that kind of win now mentality with the players, the, the older players that they do have, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, you just have to try to run it back one more time. You know, we've got it. We've got enough talent in there that they should be able to, before, you know, 
at some points this season, they were definitely a good enough team to get into the postseason. They just dealt with injuries. So, um, you know, I don't have the most faith in the Caps because they are old for me. I'm watching because I want to see Ovechkin become the greatest goal scorer of all time. That I mean, on my on my show every day, we're doing an OV goal counter, chasing the great one, Wayne Gretzky. That's that's what matters to me more than winning games right now. So uh, until the rest of Ovi's career, you know, it's all about just getting him into this office and letting him score goals. Well, Adam, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Um, host of AWOB Radio on nine ten the fan AN or the the fan AN, excuse me. That's all. That, that's Audacity, right? They can catch you on Audacity to. Yeah, you can check me show. on the Odyssey app. You can check me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, A W A D D R A D I O AWOD Radio. You can search Adam Epstein. It'll pop up as well on Monday through Friday from twelve to three p.m. You can hear me in D.C. also on the Odyssey app Saturday mornings, nine a.m. to twelve noon, and uh, always available on social media. You can. DM me. We could talk sports all the time. AWOD Radio, A-W-A-D-D-R-A-D-I-O. Well, like we said, Washington, great sports town. So if you want to hear great coverage on it, check out Adam. Great coverage and uh, like your stuff. I love what you do, man. So we'll, uh, we'll have you on again sometime. This has been really fun. We really appreciate all your time and all the insight you've given us, okay? All right, man. I appreciate it. Hey, keep grinding. <laughs> all right, Adam. Take care, man. Talk yep, see you. That interview was brought to you by Philly Drinkers, the Continental Sports Podcast has partnered with Philly Drinkers, the go-to place for the greatest sports clothing that you can get your hands on. They specialize in partying hard and looking great while doing it. Owned and operated by diehard sports fans, they don't just love sports, they love what sports stand for. Most importantly, they understand that you always want to rep your favorite team anywhere you go, whether it be a sporting event or grabbing a couple drinks with the guys. Their apparel and products always have unique designs and slogans, all while bringing out great vibes. Head to phillydrinkers.com today and get your one-of-a-kind merchandise. Philly Drinkers, always party. Okay, let's finish the show with our off-the-map and long hauls of the week. Uh, Zach, who's your off-the-map of the week? So my off-the-map of the week, I'm going to give it to Dwayne Wade. He's joining ownership group, just like every other major professional athlete seems to be doing these days. Now he's buying the WNBA Chicago Sky. So, you know, we know that the WNBA at times hasn't always been the most profitable organization in the world, but they still make money. And now Dwayne Wade gets to use this as potential leverage down the road, maybe to buy an ownership stake in the Chicago Bulls, which would make sense because it's his hometown. Or I'm surprised he doesn't have this already, some sort of ownership stake in the Miami Heat because we see so many great players. As soon as they are near the twilight of their careers, they get promised future ownership stakes. So I think this just opens up the door for Dwayne Wade to become an owner. And there's no doubt at some point LeBron is going to be the owner of a professional basketball team. So in that respect, I'm very confident in saying he will be better than Michael Jordan. Even if you, may, if you don't think he's a better basketball player than Michael Jordan, I'll bet LeBron will be better as an owner than Michael Jordan. And I think Dwayne Wade, th- this just opens up the door for him now. And we're going to continue to see this out of professional athletes. But basketball seems to be the easiest sport for oh, their yeah. professional mm-hmm. athletes to get ownership in. Because, I mean, you don't really hear too many NFL players, Tom Brady aside, being mm-hmm. uh, involved with ownership groups. So Dwayne Wade's my uh, off the map for the week. I think it's just so expensive, too. Uh, yeah. NFL is so expensive to um, just get involved with. So, yeah, that's, that's another big that's another big thing. Uh, my off the map of the week, I have I have two actually. So one, Bronny Bronny James uh, reports coming out. He might not actually start at USC. Might be coming off the bench at least for the first couple of games. I don't know if that's going to be the whole season long, but that's something that 
uh, yeah, that's pretty big. Uh, I don't know. That's that's only a speculation at this point. I think the head coach is going to have a little bit of a pressure on his back to not have that be the case. But yeah, initial reports coming out, uh, Ronnie James might actually be coming off the bench as the sixth man uh, at USC, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. Yeah, how long is that going to last? Yeah, it's, that's what I said. I mean, it's, it's gonna they're going to get some pressure to just a yeah. bit. Yeah. Other uh, another one, just side thing, uh, Jets going to be the hard knocks this year uh hbo picked the jets uh yep. for hard knocks that's pretty cool um aaron Rodgers, i think had a little bit to do with that maybe and mm-hmm. but, hey i'm just a bit it. so all right uh zach who's your long haul my long haul and this guy's a competitor in the bedroom philip rivers expecting another kid 10 children he's going to be able along with his wife now they're going to have a full starting offense so good for them soon maybe they'll be able to get to the all 22 version of children but for right now there's only 10 this is about to be the 10th kid i can't imagine what it's like for that uh for his wife to continue to go through that. But good for Philip Rivers, man. He may not have Super Bowls, but you know what? He's got a lot of things more important, and that's a lot of kids. So good for him. He has 10 kids. He's going to. I didn't, I didn't even know he had one kid. Oh, no. Philip Rivers, uh, his wife started, they started having kids, I well, believe, I his junior year at NC State. Did it, well, I know he had, I'm sorry, I know he had kids, but I know, didn't he adopt all of his kids, though? No. I thought he, no. Oh. I thought he, I might be confusing him with somebody else. I thought, I know he had like three or four adopted kids, but that doesn't sound like that's actually the case. Nope. Huh. He's always been known for extending plays and not throwing the ball away. And so that apparently oh, applies wow. to the bedroom as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, good, yeah. Good for him. Like you said, not, no, no. He's going to uh, have, yeah, it's going to be him. Left. He's going to get to be all time quarterback with all of his kids. <laughs> he's got 10 of them. He's got an offense. The chance, the just, Chances of one of those kids at least going to the NFL, I pretty would good. Say, was pretty high. At least mm-hmm. one of the one kids. out of ten could work. Yeah, so I mean, it's a good retirement strategy for him. I mean, he's going to be taken care of for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it's yeah. like a racehorse that wins a triple crown, and then they just get yeah. to retire and go breed and have horses. Yeah. That's all their career is after that. Great odds for you know, like I said, one of those kids going big and helping him in retirement. I would hope so. And, and his you know other maybe fifteen kids at that point is fifteen. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, who knows? How old is his wife? Just do you know offhand, like how old his wife is? I think she's maybe a year or two younger than him. Philip Rivers, I believe, is forty-one. So, so I bet that would put her around thirty-nine, thirty-eight. Can't do mm-hmm. much? Yeah, I mean, they're. I can't do much. Can't do much longer. So. Oh, he got married in two thousand one. Wow. Yeah. So he was married while Long he was as I've been alive. She's. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, but time's ticking, though, for sure. If, if she's seven gonna... of them are daughters, though, so I, he's got two sons. One of them's got to go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, we'll see. My long haul uh, NBA in season tournament. Uh, you know, we, they uh, earlier this week uh, NBA came out announcing the in season tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, don't I, I? I mean, I like it. Nobody else likes it. I think it's awesome. Um, the only problem is a team is going to lose a home game. One of the team, the the teams that go into the final four will ultimately end up losing a home game because they'll be in Vegas. But overall, I'm, I'm really, I I love this. I love the instant tournament. Uh, It's Adam Silver's basically uh, him trying to just become more and more like the premier league and uh, international soccer every single year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think the player's going to like it though. 
load management's already a big problem in the NBA, and this is just going to be another issue. Play, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if players want to sit out for this because they're going to not take it as seriously. I mean, it, the, the games do count towards the regular season, uh, but it's going to be interesting to see if uh, Adam Silver and the front office of the NBA actually allow players to sit out for these uh, play-in games or in, or these in-season tournament games. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll, um, we'll see. That we'll, should we'll replace the All-Star game in the NBA is the play-in tournaments. That's for sure. See, my only problem with it mm-hmm. is that the stats in the championship game don't count. And what mm-hmm. are these guys playing <clears> for? Like, what is the big incentive? Because nobody mm-hmm. cares about the championship trophy. That's not going to be a big deal for any of these mm-hmm. guys. They're probably not going to make a substantial amount of money. And for the stars of the league, they don't care. And it's getting to the point where for the middle pack of the league, they don't care because the middle pack of the league's making $25, $30 million a year. So who is this for? That's what I want to know. Yeah, it's just Adam Silver's way of trying to diversify the league. Uh, I mean, it's kind of cool that like every team does get to get into it, though. It's going to be – I think it's like six – groups of like four teams and it's going to be like group play just like soccer has like in season tournaments yeah um yeah but that's that that's ultimately the problem is that no one's going to really care i the fans are going to pretend like it's just a normal regular season game and the players themselves aren't going to play any harder for this so it's what is it what is it really going to do besides just potentially take home games away from teams that go far i, I mean in a chance to go to vegas i don't i don't know but. The difference is all the other soccer tournaments mean mm-hmm. different things, and it's different yeah. teams competing in all these different leagues. So it works in soccer. I don't know if this necessarily works. It, it yeah. drums up some, I guess, interest in the dog days of December, which, I mean, the NBA, let's just be honest, they're not going to be able to do much outside of Christmas Day that's going to draw attention when the NFL and college football are still going on. And even Christmas is now getting to be a lesson because the NFL is putting games on Christmas. So the NFL is taking that day too. Yeah. That's a good point too. I mean, the reason soccer works is because it's different leagues that come together and play each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would be cool if NBA, you know, would play against international teams, maybe. I I would be for that. Yeah. I think in that case, it it might work. Now, a couple problems with that obviously is the logistics of travel. In the season, no one's going to like that. Uh, I think all the NBA teams would be a lot better than international teams as well. So it wouldn't really be a competitive product to put on the on the. I don't know. International sports. teams are getting to be pretty good now. Now, could yeah. they beat the Denver Nuggets? I mean, we'll think about this. The Denver Nuggets have an international guy as the best player in the NBA, Jokic. Like, and would the NBA teams allow their players to uh, go overseas and play international games? I'm not sure they would. But so theoretically, yeah. I think it's a better idea than what we currently have. I just don't know how they can make it work. Yeah, it's we'll see. Uh, who knows? It, it might even this might be the one year they do it or even two years before they realize it's not going to work and they can't. Who knows? All right. Well, good show today, guys. Um, we'll all do this all again next week. But until then, uh, keep on traveling. <laughs>